0: two wonderful grown children. He was a missionary in India, in Bombay, India, in the 1980s. He taught at Freed Hardman as assistant professor, Bible and missions for 16 years and has served MRN now for the last four or five years as facilitator for Asia. Our speaker, I mean this in in the highest highest way, cares about the kingdom of God. It's always on his mind and heart. And his children also value the kingdom of God. Both of them serve as adult missionaries in China. His wife is is uh, supportive and works diligently in this work as well. Now, please give your attention this morning to one of my f- former instructors and trainers, Dr. Mark Hooper.
1: Good morning. Well, it's good to be here. We are um, very honored to be able to be with the Mount Juliet Church today, and uh, we're excited about our relationship at Missions Resource Network with this congregation. You, um, you impress us. You, uh, uh, your love for the Lord and, and your commitment to missions is just uh, uh, outstanding and it's exemplary. We've, uh, we've told, uh, told uh, the story of the Mount Juliet Church. We've, uh, we've related your dedication and your uh, commitment to missions to people down in Texas. And I'll tell them, you know, the Mount Juliet Church, and they said, Juliet, uh, you you're speaking a different language. And I say, well, I'm saying it like they say it, you know, and, and they, it sounds kind of like this Tennessee phrase, jeetjeet. Uh, and uh, you know the answer to that is not Jew, uh, but uh, you know uh, it, it's you, you got to. I lived in, in Fre- at Henderson at Freed Harmon for a while, and I speak Tennessean, so uh, it's okay. I, I understand all that. My favorite Tennessee word is "gone out of here," uh, but uh, you know we uh, they did say that to me, and that's why I moved to Texas. But anyway, um, I'm I'm glad to be back in Tennessee and glad to be here uh, with you. Uh, it is a joy to work with, uh, Nick and Amy, uh, your missions committee, uh, and others. And, and I, I know I don't need to tell you this, but Nick and Amy Fowler, uh, as well as Brian, Melissa King are very quality people. Uh, they are, they're going to be excellent missionaries in Brazil. They're excellent Christians. They're excellent people. Uh, and, uh, as Nick, uh, as you can see his heart, he is very committed to the kingdom. And so we're very excited to, uh, to work with this church and to work with the Fowlers and the Kings, and uh, uh, we are blessed to have this relationship. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about a theology of relationship. And, and as I talk about this, I, I want you to understand what I mean at the very beginning, Uh, theology is a fancy college word for the study of God and as God relates to man. And and the term relationship, you know what that is. That just means how we relate to each other. And when we talk about a theology of relationship, it really comes down to the point of what is our responsibility. In a few weeks, as Jay mentioned in the first service, uh, you're going to have the opportunity to send out, to commission and send off Uh, the Fowlers to Brazil on a mission. And like any stewarding church, you will not just have the responsibility of writing a check and making sure they have enough money to live in Brazil and to carry on this mission, but as a stewarding church, your elders and your missions committee and all of you, as you pray for them, can hold them accountable to what you're sending them to do. You're sending them on a mission And there should be some accountability. Are they doing what we sent them to do? Uh, Are they accomplishing the tasks that they have outlined, that we have outlined together? They are going to be an extension of the Mount Julia Church. They're gonna be your representatives as well as God's representatives to the people in Brazil. Uh, Jay and I both have experience in this and we know what that's like. We were sent out, my wife and I were sent out to India in the mid 1980s by a church in Memphis. I'm a Texan, but I have actually lived more years of my life in Tennessee uh, than any other state. Um, I don't admit that to a lot of people. I will admit it to you, okay? There's this close bond between Tennessee and Texas. Uh, I went to the Alamo the other day down in San Antonio. And in that room, they have a flag of all the volunteers that fought at the Alamo, a flag of every state. And the flag of Tennessee has more names next to it. There were more Tennessee volunteers that fall at the Alamo than any other. And if it wasn't for those Tennessee folks, we might have won that sucker, I'm telling you what. Uh, uh, but, <laughs> you know, uh, but anyway, um, we're, we're very, um, uh, we, we, were, we were sent out by a church in Tennessee in Memphis and, and that church, it, this is pre-9-11 days, of course. And and there were 100 people, 100. This is a church of about 250 in those days. There were 100 people that came to the airport to see us off the day we got on the airplane. And they went with us. Some of you that are younger than 20 don't know this. But in those days, you could go all the way to the gate uh, with, with your... Um, family with your friends there were a hundred people that went all the way to the gate and as we got ready to board that airplane the elders we got all together out there in the hall of the memphis airport and we had a prayer and as and as we moved towards the gate with our boarding passes the the stewardess lady the the airline lady got all nervous she said okay everybody get in the line everybody get in the line and 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 i said they're not all going only my wife and i and these two small children are going she said well, are you somebody famous? (laughs) And I said, no, I'm just somebody who's loved. And there were, and of course, tears in their eyes and everything, and as we got on that airplane, and my wife reminded me of this the other day, I didn't remember this, uh, but we were on the airplane in our seats And one of our friends from church came onto the airplane. She didn't have a ticket. She didn't have a boarding pass, but she came late and she didn't see us. And she wanted to, to, to kiss my children and to give us a hug before we left. She came on, they let her on the airplane. She brought sausage biscuits to us. And, uh, and and, that's a Tennessee thing. Okay. Uh, And, 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 uh, hugged our necks and kissed our children and then uh, left. Uh, Amazing the love and the joy that church uh, had for us. Uh, They cared for us in a special way. And I know that's what you're going to do because I know what kind of people you are already. But this morning, as you hold Nick and Amy accountable to what they're going to be doing, and as you hold your other missionaries accountable in Sudan, Sudan and Ukraine and and Ga- you know I can't say all those countries okay but anyway uh, in, in all those places in Central America and, and you send short-term mission trips uh, teams down there many of you have been to these mission fields and, and as you hold your missionaries accountable and your uh, your short-term mission uh, participants accountable to certain things look back in the mirror Nick and Amy and all your other missionaries and those that you support can hold you accountable. Can hold you accountable for praying for them, yeah, and for supporting them, yeah, but they can also hold you accountable for the same things you're holding them accountable. See, just because you're a sending church doesn't relieve you from the responsibilities that you have in fulfilling the mission of God as well. And we're going to talk about that as we go along. First of all, I want to to remind you of what mission we're on. You see, when we have a relationship with God, relationship drives redemption. In Genesis chapter 3, you remember the story, Adam and Eve, you know, you got that story right. You got that in Bible class, and we are in Bible class, and so, you know, we're going to hope you brought your Bibles because we're going to look at a lot of Scripture in the next few minutes. Um, But in Genesis 3, let me just remind you, if you didn't bring your Bible, there it is. But uh, in in Genesis 3, uh, the story of the fall, you know, God placed Adam and Eve in this garden and he said, you know, everything is here that you need. You don't have to work. You don't have to till the soil. Everything you need is here. And there's even a tree of life. And you can eat of that tree and you can live forever. Just one condition I need your obedience. I'm providing everything. I'm making a covenant with you. I will give you everything you need. One condition, your part of the covenant is don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, you know the story. Eve was tempted by Satan in the form of a serpent and she ate. And Adam, bless his heart. In Tennessee, you can say something bad about somebody and say bless their heart and it's okay. All right. Um, uh, Bless his heart. He was a good husband did what his wife told him to do, and look what it got him, okay? Um, you know, he did what his wife told him to do. He, she said, eat, and he did, and, and they got in trouble, and, and, and as God came to have that relationship with them, God was walking with them in the morning and the evening, and when God came to walk with them that evening, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves, hid themselves. Why? Because they had sinned from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And when the Lord God came, and and he's, you know, God knew what they had done. And God knew that they were hiding. And God knew what had happened. But he still came, and he called out to them, and he said, where are you? You see, God, even though they had sinned, even though they did what he told them not to do, God still wanted a relationship with them. God still wanted that that bond with, with man, with Adam and Eve, and he wants it with us, and he wants it with the world. And the rest of the Bible is all about that verse being fulfilled. You see, God came looking for man even when man was in sin. And the rest of the Bible is about that redemption. Where are you? And God is calling us back to him. And and so Jesus is the fulfillment of that and the culmination of that redemption. But from Genesis three all the way to to maps, to to Revelation 22, okay? Uh, From Genesis three to the end of the Bible, the rest of the Bible is all about this. It's about redemption. And so relationship drives redemption, and that's why you're sending folks to different countries of the world. That's why the Fowlers are going to Brazil, because God wants a relationship with those people. God wants a relationship with everyone. And so it brings us to an understanding of what is our identity, what what really matters in our life. If God wants a relationship with me and God is the king of the universe and there's a kingdom of God and a kingdom of heaven, then then what is my identity? What's my purpose in life? Why am I here? I'm not just here to be an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor or or a school teacher. I'm not just here to be a a husband and a father or a wife and a mother. I'm not just here to be a student. I've I've got a higher purpose than that. What is my role? What is my identity? And and if we understand our identity in the kingdom, it's really going to help us to have a greater relationship with the Lord. Our identity in the kingdom. In Colossians chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14, uh, Paul tells us what this means. He says, you know, you were in your sins and, and, and you were part of Satan's kingdom. But... He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and translated us into the kingdom, into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, the redemption part is what brings you out of Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom. And so that redemption brings us back into that relationship with the king. That redemption brings us back into a A a covenant relationship. And yesterday when we were talking with the elders and the missions committee and and the Brazil team, the Fowlers and the Kings, we were talking about what it means to have relationship with God in a covenant relationship. When you were baptized into Christ, and many of you have already been baptized, uh, when you were baptized into Christ, you entered into a covenant with God. He promised to give you eternal life through the grace and mercy of uh, of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you, in turn, promise to give him your life. Obedience, everything about you belongs to him now. And so that's your identity. Your identity in the kingdom means that you belong to the king. You live in the kingdom of God now. He's translated you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son through redemption and forgiveness of sins. So our identity in the kingdom brings responsibility. It means that we must be an obedient disciple. We must be obedient to him. Obedience is very important. It's not that you have to work your way to heaven as some people thought. Uh, It's not that we have to be obedient so we can be saved. You're saved, therefore you need to be obedient. And God has already given us grace and mercy. Baptism comes first. And as you obey God, as you continue to mature as his disciple, then you continue to grow in your obedience. When we first become Christians, we really don't understand what it means to be obedient to the Lord. We really don't understand the extent of that. And that's why Jesus' teaching is very important. Because his teaching on the kingdom really helps us to understand that this is our life. This is what it's all about. John the Baptist came preaching and teaching. uh, And it says in Matthew chapter uh, 3 that John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of of God is at hand. And Jesus did the same thing. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew chapter 4, after his baptism and his temptation, he said, that's my message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same as John's. Jesus came to reveal the kingdom. And he told parables about the kingdom. In Matthew 13, you have a lot of parables about the kingdom. In Luke, there are a lot of parables about the kingdom. In, in Matthew 13, there are a couple of parables that I want to uh, uh, tell you before we get to John 18. But in, in, in Matthew 13, there's the parable of um, of the treasure that a man found in a field. And this is verses 44, 45, and 46. Uh, he, this man finds a treasure and he, and he hides it in this field and then he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. And then another merchant who's a collector of fine... Uh, Pearls. He finds this pearl of great price and he goes and sells all that he has to buy that one pearl. That's how important the kingdom of heaven is. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that, where these guys would sell all that they had. This merchant would stop being a merchant. He sold all that he had. He sold his inventory. He sold his store. He sold everything that he had to get that one pearl. And when he sold everything that he had, he stopped being a merchant and began to be a collector. You see, his whole life changed when he found that pearl of great price, that kingdom, Jesus said. Our lives change when we understand our identity in the kingdom and we become obedient disciples. Jesus in John chapter 18 is before Pilate. Uh, You don't, yeah, go ahead and turn there. We'll, We'll turn there for just a minute. This is Bible study, so let's look at the Bible right quick, okay? In John 18, verses 33 and following, Jesus is on trial. He's brought before Pilate. Pilate comes into the praetorium and summons Jesus and asks him in verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, are you saying this on your own initiative or did someone else tell you about me? Jesus wants to know, why why are you concerned whether I'm a king or not? Did somebody else tell you a king or do you think I'm a king? And and, and Pilate said, I'm not a Jew, am I? I don't care whether you're the king of the Jews or not. Uh, Your own nation and chief priests delivered you up to me. What have you done? Why are they so angry with you? Uh, Why have they brought you to me? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. That's good news to Pilate. His job was to keep peace. Everybody needs to bow to Caesar. Caesar is king, Caesar is Lord. We don't need another king competing with Caesar, uh, especially in this rogue nation uh, of Judea. Uh, We don't need these Jews to get all excited about a different king than Caesar. So uh, if you are a king, what are you up to? Jesus said, relax, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, you'd have a civil war on your hands. You'd have fighting on your hands but my kingdom is not of this world. Verse 37, Pilate says, so you are a king. And Jesus said, yes, you say correctly, I am a king. For this I've been born, for this I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate says, what is truth? Pilate doesn't believe in truth. But Jesus says, if you know that I'm a king, Then you know that I bear witness to truth and you will obey my voice. And so, obedience is imperative in our relationship to the King, in our identity in the kingdom. We must be an obedient disciple. We must understand that that's how we have a relationship with God. But this relationship also extends to each other. We also not just have a relationship with God, but we have a relationship to brothers and sisters, to the church. We, we have a relationship in a family atmosphere. Uh, we care for each other and, and, and with Christianity, with our identity in the kingdom comes a relationship with other members of the kingdom, uh, with other subjects that bow a knee to the king. And therefore we have a responsibility to each other. Uh, in, in Acts chapter two and verse 42, when the church first began, Uh, On the day of Pentecost, uh, about 2,000 years ago, Peter preached a sermon. 3,000 people responded and were baptized. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. And if you look at those, yeah, there's worship to God there, but there's community. There's fellowship. Breaking bread is communion with God and with each other. Prayer, reliance on God, but they did that together. Uh, They were all together and and they participated in what we call church as a family, as a unit, as a body. Even the word church in in Greek, ekklesia, means to be called out. Uh, It's a group of people that's called out from the world to live differently. And we join together in that and we encourage one another for that. And that's why your elders in, in their wisdom and uh, in, in, their, in their foresight, in their vision, they ask you to meet not just on Sunday morning, but Sunday nights and Wednesday nights so that, so that you can be together and, and they encourage you to meet other times as well so that you can encourage one another and live in a body, live in a family atmosphere. And so as they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, that brought about obedience but it also brought about community. It brought about a relationship with one another. So we need to be obedient to the Lord. Well, what does this mean? Obedient to our role in the mission of God. You say, well, the Fowlers are doing that. Yeah, but it's not just for the Fowlers. Well, our missionaries in Sudan and in, in Ghana and, and Honduras and, and Ukraine, they're all doing that. Yeah, and it's not just for them. Our relationship to God and our obedience to God, our identity in the kingdom means our role in the mission has specific responsibility and covenant. We have a responsibility before God, you and me, the ones that are staying here that are not getting on the airplane and going to a foreign country. You and I here have a responsibility just like everyone else to engage in God's mission, what God is already doing. Remember, it's God's mission, it's not ours. It's what God is doing already in the world. And folks, I think, you know, the Fowlers and the Kings will tell you as they have visited Brazil, that God's already at work. My kids in China will tell you that God is already at work before we got there, uh, before they got there. Uh, When I got to India, God was already preparing people. Um, Quick story uh, about what people in the pew can do. We got to India, and, you know, we're trying to find contacts, persons of peace that we can start studying with that will lead us to others and that the church might grow. And we get this postcard from a lady in Texas, okay? Uh, she's an elder's wife, and she just sends up a little postcard, and it says, uh, I, I was told that you're missionaries in Bombay, India, I have a world Bible School student named uh, Mary Frances. Would you go visit her? Here's her address. That's it. Okay? So I go and visit her. Well, actually, I, I kept the kids on a Saturday and sent my wife, since it was a female. I said, Debbie, you go visit her and, and see what comes of it. Debbie goes down and visits her. She comes back, and she said, listen, Mary is excited to study more about the Bible, and she has a mother, she has a sister, and she has a brother mark i want you to go with me i want i want us to go together and teach this family and so we went together and we took our kids and we they didn't have electricity there were little mice running around in their little two-room house uh sweat dripping off my, i still have the bible i used in bombay uh the because it's it's kind of an heirloom now but uh sweat was dripping on there because they didn't have any fans or anything like that and so we're studying the bible with this family and long story short. Mary became a Christian. She was baptized. Her brother became a Christian. Her sister became a Christian. Her mother became a Christian. So all four in that house became Christians. One day when I have some time, ask me about her mother's baptism. Uh, Our baptistry was the Arabian Sea. She wanted to be baptized during monsoon. The waves get to be about six feet tall. She'd never been in water in her life. Remember, these are people that, how do they take a bath? Uh, with a bucket and a, uh, and a cloth. She'd never been in water in her life. She was scared. Anyway, I'll tell you about it some other time. But anyway, um, don't let me say this. It took five of us to baptize her, all right? But anyway, um, uh, we baptized this family, and then they had friends, and they said, we want you to study with our friends. The end of the story is, there's been about 20 baptisms because an elder's wife in Monday, Texas wrote me a postcard. Okay, and, and there's churches that began in their homes because of somebody like you that was serious about their identity in the kingdom and their role in the mission of God. And so in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, you know these verses, but I want you to see this again and I want you to see something that maybe you read very fast. You know, the Lord says, go and make disciples of all nations, okay? The make disciples is the command part. The go for you English majors is a participle, okay? And the baptizing and the teaching is a participle. I knew what a participle was once. All I remember now is it ends in ing. I I don't remember anything else, but anyway, the only command, the only imperative in the Greek in this Great Commission passage is to make disciples. And you heard Jay, if you were at first service, talk about being a disciple. If you didn't, you will in a minute in the second service but being a disciple is, is, is very important. It's a follower, it's a learner, it's one who's obedient to the master. And when he says make disciples of all nations, yeah, we're supposed to baptize them. Disciples, if they become obedient disciples, will be baptized. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Teach them to be obedient. But you can't make disciples. Here's the point of this. You can't make disciples unless you're a disciple. In, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, you remember the first instance of the word Christian in the in the New Testament? Okay. There's Acts eleven twenty-six. 26. There's Acts 26, 26. I don't remember where they are. And then there's one in, in one of the letters of Peter. Uh, and in the three instances where the word Christian is used. This is the first one in Acts 11, and it says the disciples were first called Christians. I think I've got it up here. Yeah, uh, to make disciples, we must be disciples. Acts 11:26. It says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. My question to you is: We, we all call ourselves Christians. My question to you is: Are you a disciple? The disciples were first called Christians there. Can we call Christians today disciples? Are we followers? Are we obedient? Are we who we ought to be? And see, that's very important that if we're going to make disciples, we're going to have to be disciples. And so are you a disciple of Christ? Are you a follower? Are you obedient? Do you take this seriously, your covenant relationship with the Lord? following the model and mission is really just being like Jesus. It's following Jesus in everything we do. It's being like him in every way. I don't have this up, but uh, you will remember the story of Zacchaeus, the what was he? The wee little man, right? This is a Bible class. You can talk, okay? Uh, uh, He was the wee little man, and he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, and The Lord came passing by and he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down from there because I'm going to your house today. And and, and when he went to his house, he told him in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, he said, Zacchaeus, he said, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, if that's our example, if that's what Jesus came to do, that's what we've come to do. That's our purpose. That's what really matters. Because at the end of the day, when, when you're in the casket, or when the Lord comes again, what really matters is not how much money you made, or what kind of house you lived in, or what kind of car you drove. What really matters is not even how many children you had or grandchildren you had. And it, understand what I'm saying by this, okay, but it doesn't even matter how many songs you've sung, how many prayers you prayed and how many worship services you have attended, what really matters is have you been a disciple of the King? Have you been obedient to the King? And have you helped others be disciples? Because in eternity, it's only the spiritual things that are going to matter. And so following the model and the mission of Jesus means that we are going to incarnate ourselves to be like Jesus. We're going to Follow him to crucifixion. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. I I don't think I've understood take up my cross. I don't think I've really understood crucifixion like I should have. Uh, I used to think crucifixion was, okay, today I'm not going to have a Snickers bar I really want one, but I'm not going to do it today for the sake of the kingdom, Uh, or I'm going to do without this, or I'm going to do... You know what really hurt when I went to India in 1985? It wasn't leaving America for many many reasons, you might think. There was a new thing out in those days called cable TV, and there was a channel on cable TV called ESPN. You may have heard of it. that hurt my feelings. I'm a sports nut, okay? Uh, and, and that really hurt my feelings to, to not be able to keep up with American baseball and American football. In India, they think football's soccer. Uh, it's not really a sport. Uh, and they think, they think baseball is cricket. Have you ever watched Cricket? Did you wake up in time to see the end of it? Five days later, um, you know it, it, it's it's they don't play real sports in India, uh, and, and so I, I really that was that was the cross I had to bear. Not really, I, I didn't understand crucifixion. I, I don't think I still understand crucifixion. I think I understand it a little bit better than I did 25 years ago. A crucifixion means that I'm willing to do whatever it takes I'm willing to do whatever it takes to follow the Lord so remember these things I don't, did I put it up there no I didn't put it up there yet incarnation means being like Jesus crucifixion means whatever it takes and what is resurrection how do I participate in the resurrection of Christ what does the resurrection mean to you the resurrection means to you That you have hope of eternal life. It's what makes it all worthwhile. Without resurrection, crucifixion is is sad, it's depressing, and is it really worth it? I mean, think about Jesus' situation. He died on the cross, and if we end the story there, it's not worth it. It's, It's a sad story. Satan wins. Uh, Going back to Genesis 3, when when God prophesied to the serpent, to Satan, that you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. He's talking about the resurrection. You bruise his heel, he'll have to die on the cross, but he'll crush your head because he won't stay in the tomb. He's going to rise. And, And so there is no good news without resurrection. It's not just the cross. And folks... That's why on my Bible, instead of a cross, I've got an empty tomb, okay, on my Bible. Because there is no good news without the resurrection. Yeah, the cross is important, and I'm not belittling the cross, but when I talk to Muslims, the cross is a symbol of shame. Uh, You know, it's like the hangman's noose. Or in Texas, you know, our favorite thing now is the electric chair, you know. Uh, there's, Texas executes more people than anybody else. I was just joking about it. Uh, you know, we don't brag about, well, you know, my great grandpappy, you know, he was a cattle rustler and he was hung by hangman's noose. And when I see that hangman's noose, I just think, boy, I love my great grandpappy. You know, I just, I'm so, I love that hangman's noose because it reminds me of him. No, we don't say that. Uh, th- that's shameful. Your great grandfather died because he was a cattle rustler like a criminal? Uh, died in an electric chair? We don't brag about that. Well, the Muslims and others will say, you're bragging that your Savior died on a cross? Are you crazy? But you see, it is good news because what happened after the cross was resurrection. And, and, And it's good news for you that when you deny yourself, take up your cross, It's all worthwhile because there's resurrection for you too. Resurrection now and resurrection later. Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it abundantly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You were dead in your sins, but now you're alive in Christ. Jesus gives you life now. He gives you purpose. He gives you fulfillment. He gives you joy in your life now. There's only joy in living Jesus Christ's life. There's only joy in living with him. And then there's eternal life after that. And so if you put next to incarnation being Jesus and you put next to crucifixion, whatever it takes, I'll do it to follow Jesus, then you put next to resurrection, it makes it all worthwhile. Okay? It makes it all worthwhile. That's what resurrection does. It gives us hope. It gives us confidence. And, And the only reason the Fowler's will go and leave family behind here at this church and in other places. The only reason the kings will go and leave family behind and take their, uh, the the grandson and, and go to a foreign country, is because of resurrection, because of redemption, because it makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, there's gonna be pain, there's gonna be sorrow, there's gonna be frustration. You experience it right here, but it makes it all worthwhile because of resurrection. And so, when we see what Christianity is really about, it's not just holding them accountable when they go to Brazil or all the other missionaries and mission points you have, it's God holding us accountable. It's God holding me accountable for incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. He's holding me accountable to be a disciple, He's holding me accountable to be obedient. Have I been Jesus to the people in this community in Wilson County? Have I shown crucifixion to my friends? Have I shown them that I'll do whatever it takes to serve God? Have I shown them the confidence and the joy and the hope that resurrection gives me? That's a transformed life. You see, I don't have to be worried about Okay, cancer and, 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 and things that might happen and stuff like that to my life in sickness or in accidents and things. Yeah, I don't want those things to happen, but if they do, I can face it with confidence because I'm a Christian and I know to whom I belong and I know where I'm going. You see, the resurrection changes everything. It transforms our lives so that we can live the way God wants us to live right here or in a foreign country and take others with us as obedient disciples of Jesus. So what is a theology of relationship? A theology of relationship defines our relationship with God. It defines our relationship with God in that we are his disciples, that we are obedient to him, and that we have our identity in the kingdom. It also tells us that our relationship with the church is different. And you know what? It even redefines church. I know a lot of people in the Bible Belt from Tennessee, Arkansas, Alabama, North Mississippi, into Texas and Oklahoma. In the Bible Belt, I think sometimes in the Church of Christ, we really don't understand what church is about. We think church might be, some people that are really in the dark ages might think it's a building. Okay, we know it's not a building, all right? But what is church? Is it a building? No. Some people might think, well, it's worship service. We even say it like that. Where are you going? I'm going to church. No, you're not. You're going to service. You're going to worship. You're not going to church. How can you go to to church if you are church? Okay? Uh, We're not going to church. We're going to a service of the church. We're going to a worship service. If you really understand what church is, it's not a worship service. That's just part of what a church does. It's not who a church is, okay? And so we need to redefine what church really means. What does church really mean? It means obedient disciples, worshiping God, following God, reaching out to others with God through Jesus Christ. That's what church is. It's incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. It's obedient discipleship. So our relationship with the church is redefined and our relationship with the lost. Folks, if you really understand the theology of relationship and what God wants in this world, if we really understand redemption and God's mission on this planet... Then when you go to that grocery store and you're standing in line and and, and the guy in front of you gets angry with the checkout lady at Walmart and you come in after that, you understand that she's having a bad day and it's not just a matter of whether she smiles at you or not, it's a matter that she has a soul and that she is going to spend eternity in either heaven or hell that transforms the way that you talk to her. And you say something to her, spiritually in nature. You know, I know you're having a bad day, but remember, God loves you. You say, well, that sounds cheesy. But, you know, it reminds people that you're a believer and that there is a God that cares about them. When somebody says, well, you know, uh, how, how's your day going? Well, you answer, you know, God has blessed me with a good day it reminds people that you believe in God and it shows them that you care about them as well. You see, it makes us think differently about people around us. When we understand our relationship with God and God's relationship or God's desire to have a relationship with every person, we see them as souls and not as just fleshly, worldly people. The way we talk to people becomes different. And people see that difference in us. You'll be transformed and the church is transformed. So this morning, as we think about a theology of relationship, I want you to remember, yes, hold your missionaries accountable. But they can hold you accountable for the same thing. If you ask them, how many Bible studies have you had in Brazil? Be ready. They could ask you, how many Bible studies are you holding in Mount Juliet? They can ask you that. Why are you holding them to a higher standard than you? If you ask them, uh, have you found anybody that's really interested in the Lord? And Nick and Amy write back and say, yeah, we found three people this week that are interested in further study. Be prepared, they could ask you. How many people have you found interested in the Lord this week? You say, well, that's not my job. (laughs) What? Are you a Christian? Yeah, it's your job. It's my job. It's all of our jobs because we have a relationship with the Savior. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for bringing us back into a relationship with you. Thank you for loving us and blessing us so richly. Thank you for the mercy and the grace that comes through Jesus. Father, thank you that you've made that sacrifice for us. Father, we come before you with humble hearts and bowed knees and, and praise on our lips because you have loved us so much when we were unlovable. And you have regarded us as, as valuable when we were not. And Father, we pray that even though we can't live up to... Um, to that value, to that righteousness that you call us, that you have made us righteous, and that you have made us valuable. And we honor you and we thank you for that. And Father, we want to share that, that feeling of worth and value and righteousness with others. And as you have made us to be your children, we know you desire all people to be your children. Father, help us to be Jesus. Help us to do whatever it takes. Help us to To be changed with the confidence of the resurrection to reach out to others. Father, help others to see you living in us. We pray for greater obedience. We pray for uh, us to be able to reach our lost friends and we pray that we can have influence in this community in Brazil, Honduras, Ghana, Ukraine, and the many other communities in which we're involved we pray that we can be a light to those places in darkness, to those lives in darkness. Father, empower us through your strength and your Holy Spirit. Give us your wisdom. Give us your understanding. And we pray for your strength as we try to be the disciples you want us to be. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for letting us be here today. And we're enjoying our time with you. You're dismissed.